Hey, Kev, let's let's follow this trail over here. This looks like there might be something waiting down there. All right. Hey, wait a minute. Do you hear that? Yeah, I thought it was just me. What the heck is that? I don't know what that is. Whoa, do you smell that, too? That's unbelievable. Hey, look. What the? Hey, look, those, those branches are moving over there. What the heck is that? Holy cow, is that what I think it is? Look at that thing. It, oh my god. It's a freaking Sasquatch. Welcome to the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters podcast. I'm your host, W.J. Sheehan. Hello, everybody, and thanks once again for joining my brother and I for what is going to be a terrific podcast and an all-around good time. My name is W.J. Sheehan, and I am the author of a series of books entitled Bigfoot Terror in the Woods, Sightings and Encounters, all of which are available at Amazon, volumes one through eight in ebook and paperback. And you could also acquire volumes one through six at Audible, iTunes, and Amazon if you go for the audiobook gig, if you catch my drift. And now... Without any further ado, may I bring in and introduce you to my co-host and brother, K.J. Sheehan. Kev, how are you? I'm doing great. How about you, Bill? Marvelous, marvelous, darling. I'm just gearing myself up. You know, by the time this podcast airs, it'll be over. But we're supposed to have that Geminids meteor shower. Oh. And, uh... Supposedly, in my area, 150 an hour will be seen in the sky. So, you know. Very cool. I'm hoping we're going to have some clear sailing and I'll be able to stand outside and just watch this display of in the heavens of fireworks, you know. Oh, I definitely want to check that out. And, uh, yeah. you know, two other things related to that. The other night we were out uh, walking out of the front of the house in Raleigh where we have street street lights there. So it's like, you know, it's not that great for seeing the stars and stuff. And our neighbors from across the street were out in front of the house. And I was like, hey, what are you guys up to? And they said, look up. And it was the ISS, the International Space Station, was coming over. And I've seen it before, but it was like so close and so bright. And it was only about six o'clock at night. So I think that made a difference, you know, like where the sun was located below the horizon uh, and I guess how close the ISS was to Earth because it was bright as like an airliner with its lights on passing over, but it was the ISS. It was so cool. So what you were seeing was really this bright, luminescent ball going yeah, over Yeah, like a that big, in- bright planet, you know, like yeah. Venus uh, uh, coming over and moving, you know, what appeared to be like picture five miles an hour, sure. you know, as our speed on the ground across the sky. Right, right. Super yeah, now cool. that's That is amazing, that stuff. And, you know, people would say, yeah, so what's the big deal, you know? But it to me, it's it is cool. a big deal. It's cool. And by the way, so we have coming up, I don't have the facts in front of me for the podcast here, but I think it's December 21st, right? The three planets are going to align like they haven't 
since like 900 AD or something like that. Yeah, right? Like yeah. I think it's uh, um, Jupiter, Mars, Saturn. Uh, Jupiter, Saturn, and Mars, I think, are going to be correct. so close together, closer than they've been together, you know, since 900 AD. Yeah, which it's is a just long crazy. time ago. A long yeah. time ago. Yeah, and you right know, on December twenty first. So we, I know, I know you have the different calendars and stuff like that. But it's almost like I remember going to the planetary shows way back when, when I was a kid, Bill, you know, at the Vanderbilt yeah. Planetarium, and they would have the Christmas show that would have the different theories of what the three kings or magi might have seen uh, in the sky, you know, for the birth of Christ. And uh, right. one of the theories was, you know, these once, uh, not even in a lifetime, once in thousands of years where the planets come together in one place. You know, and form right. the brightest thing in the sky. So it's kind of cool that it's, I think it's December 21st. Which is the winter solstice. Yes. And the other thing is, it really doesn't matter what they saw. The thing was they had the motivation to go and follow it. Exactly. That's the and most that, important thing. Yeah. Yeah, that was the really interesting part. Bright light, planet, whatever. Whatever they saw. They knew it was a sign and they had to go follow that, you know. So and that's by the way, spoiler alert, I think the episode after this is gonna be our beloved Christmas episode. Indeed it is. Indeed it is. So stay tuned for that. Uh I think we'll bring in a pile of reindeer poop or something for that, right? Jeff? <laughs> <laughs> Ho- hopefully not on the bottom of my shoe. On a on a roll. <laughs> <laughs> Bill's Cafe, how can I help you? Oh, no, thank you. No, thank you. <laughs> I ate before I came here. Yeah, smells really bad in here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so what do we got now? Cryptids in the News, another oddities segment today. So this week, Bill, you know, we're in our second season. Uh, you know, we have uh, almost 80 episodes out there. And we're going to discuss for the first time, but not the last time, on our podcast, probably, or not probably, the most famous video film of the hairy man ever. Mm-hmm. And what's your guess at what that is, Bill? Well, let's see. I, well, I guess it would be the Patterson-Gimlin film. Otherwise known as PGF. <laughs> <laughs> the Patterson-Gimlin film. So, uh, you know, we, we, haven't done it si- we haven't done it since we started this podcast. And it's always on my list, of course. And it's been covered extensively. But I think it'll be kind of cool for you and I to talk about it. You know, me being the relative newcomer to cryptids and other oddities and here talking about the most famous uh, footage and really the footage that has created the so-called squatching pose, right, of the Bigfoot with, uh, you know, a left arm up to the sky and the right arm out behind its back, you know, in stride. Yeah, the swinging arm, right? Exactly. Exactly. So, of course, this was filmed back in Northern California in 1967. It's believed to have been filmed in late October 
1967 along uh, this Bluff Creek in Northern California, an area where, you know, I guess historically there's been a lot of flooding along this tributary of the Klamath River um, in a big logging area. And of course, you know, in that footage, you have Roger Patterson, who passed away back in 1972, believe it or not. Yeah. And Bob Gimlin, who, of course, is still alive, you know, yeah, today. Yeah. And uh, they're out on horseback, a couple of guys that are, you know, uh, apparently like rodeo guys. Yeah. And uh, riding along there on a multi-day ride. And uh, they see this Bigfoot, you know, that became known as Patty, because as you look more closely at the film and with the enhancements of the film, you can see that it clearly has breasts. Uh, So it's a female uh, Bigfoot. Right. No, it's definitely an interesting clip. And, you know, uh, I heard uh, Bob Gimlin uh, doing an interview. You know, there's been a lot of people who have poked at this film. Oh, yeah. And we all know, or we've heard uh, the guy in the suit. Somebody said he, at one time, I heard some guy say he made the suit for Patterson. Uh, I don't know what all the involvement is with all of these people. But what I do know is what I saw with my clinical eye as a therapist, that that was a living, uh, viable creature that had skin attached to muscle and was moving anatomically correct in every way, shape, or form, every movement the body made, whether it was the arm swing, the legs flexing or extending. I could see muscles moving in coordination with each movement that was made, and there was no way a costume could be made to do that on a person, especially that large. Yeah, and moving at that speed through this creek, you know, this uh, that's covered in, like, giant limbs and giant logs and looking back over its shoulder and moving with good, good speed, you know, a very yeah. quick pace. Um, that would be tough to do with a costume on without, you know, tripping over something. Yeah, you know, and in fact, by the way, like Roger Patterson, when he's running, when you look at the film, when he's running to uh, get the camera and to like get up closer to the beast, he trips and falls on the riverbank, which is kind of interesting, you know. Uh, Yeah, well, you know, and the excitement, right? Well, yeah, but I mean, there's all kinds of stuff around. It's not like he's in a parking lot, right? So, the point you're getting at is. The agility of the Bigfoot to walk, turning its head like it wasn't even concerned about tripping. Exactly, exactly. Just no problem at all. So it's pretty. You know, uh, Bob Gimlin had said in one of his interviews that when they saw the creature, Patterson jumped down and fell. Right. And then, then he got up with the camera and tried to steady his arms on a, a stump or something so he could get a good, clear shot of it. And you see that going on in the film, right? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Like, he gets off the horse, he takes the camera out of the saddlebag, and then he starts hustling along, and he trips and falls on the riverbank. Or, like, the sand from where the water was 
prior, you know, the, right, the previous right. high water mark. And then he gets to like a stump or something and steadies the camera on it. Yeah. And you could just imagine the adrenaline rush that oh, was already God. taking place. My God. Yeah. Now, Bob said that after the initial shot, he wanted to pursue it. Yeah. Yeah. He couldn't even believe what he had just seen. And you know, I wanted- saw I probably saw the same interview you saw, but I'm going to uh-huh. post the interview because it's on YouTube and it's from our favorite uh, survivor man, Les Straub. Oh, and, yeah. Yeah. And it's the outtakes, I guess, or the full interview with Bob Gimlin uh, that he did. And it's probably I want to say it's about 40 minutes long on YouTube. And it's wow. just him continuously talking about that day. So it's probably yeah. the same one you saw because he talks all about that stuff. And it's it's kind of unedited. And, and of course, they edited that to make the much shorter Les Stroud Survivor, Survivor Man Finding Bigfoot that featured Bob Gimlin. Yeah. 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 No, but that he has a- the whole thing. I'll post it on uh, BigfootTerryInTheWoods.com on our website with this episode. So, Yeah. And, you know, Bob said... First of all, Bob was a rough and tumble character. I remember him talking about, you know, how many bones he broke in his body and whatnot, bucking Bronx, and he was like an evil Knievel on a horse, you know? Exactly, exactly. And uh, he's out there, and he said that he couldn't believe what he was looking at and wanted to see it again just to confirm in his mind, like to, to kind of sort out, like... Am I nuts or am I seeing yeah, this thing? Did I you know? really just see this thing? Yeah. Yeah, just, no, I think that's the coolest thing. Like, we can all relate to that. Like, what the heck? Like, I remember, this is going to sound dumb, but it's a similar situation in modern day life, right? Years back when I moved to Raleigh, I hit a deer, right, with uh-huh. my car. But it was in, like, the city of Raleigh. Like, it was a place where you wouldn't think you'd hit a deer. Uh-huh. And like it was just caught me completely by surprise. I was doing about 30 miles an hour on a main road, uh-huh. you know, like a four lane, not a highway, but a four lane city road. Right. And uh, I was like, what the heck just happened? You know, we're like, boom. And you saw these hooves come across the windshield. And like I pulled over and like couldn't open up my driver's door because it hit on like the front left quarter of the car. Had okay. to get out the passenger side. And like I had to, like I went over and looked on the side of the road in the bushes to make sure that it was really a deer because I, yeah. I didn't know what happened. And here's the same thing like Gimlin was riding along on horseback, outdoorsman, spending a multi day hike, camping out, riding along this riverbank with, with Roger Patterson, you know, his longtime friend. And he sees this Bigfoot and he sees Patterson film it. Patterson comes back after chasing it up the river a little bit and says, I'm out of film, you know, and then uh, Bob Gimlin's like he wants to go and look more at it because he's like, did I really just see what I saw? Kind of like me (laughs) hitting the deer. Like, is that really a deer? Like what? What just (laughs) happened? Yeah. 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 It's crazy. And I I understand that. You know, you, you are just stunned. You're in a mental stupor. Uh, having seen, I relate back Kev, to the Whitehall cop. Oh, yeah. I, mean, I love, I, I love the quote from him. Yeah, I mean, uh, Whitehall, I'm looking New at York. something that I'm told doesn't exist. Yeah, I'm staring into the eyes of something that I've been told my whole life 
did not exist. <laughs> it is freaking remarkable. It's the greatest quote of all time. Now, you know, some people, uh, I looked at the film, I didn't see anything. There were some people that said they saw other creatures in the bushes and they felt that the uh, the female was trying to lead them away, potentially from some juveniles or something. Do you see anything in that picture? I didn't see that. I didn't see that. But in this interview with Bob Gimlin, he talks about the fact when Patterson ran up further, like I guess Bob was there with his horse, um, Roger's horse, and the pack horse that like he was trailing behind him. Right. Uh, you know, on a, on a rope, of course. Um, and when Roger ran up there, he said that he saw three sets of footprints. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And So um, where, where were the other two, one might ask? Exactly. And I know from seeing, uh, you know, the grizzlies and the brown bear in the wild, they definitely take care of the young. Like they will, you know, I told you the story in Alaska two summers ago where the, the mama uh, brown bear or grizzly, I mean, they call them brown bears up there in Alaska, but same animal, uh, would send uh, the cubs up a tree. While while there were other uh, uh, brown bears in the area, like when she'd go fishing in the stream and we'd watch them, she would send the cubs up a tree. And uh, the guide we were with called it uh, brown bear daycare. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, we had that discussion when I was telling yeah. you about that guy that got mauled twice. Yeah. And walked away. You had told me the mother went away to run the cub up a tree and came back for the guy the second time. No doubt about it. They they first take care of the young. And, you know, in this case, that could could also be true. So, you know, and that was interesting, too, in that interview. Again, I'll post it uh, with Bob Gimlin and Les Stroud. Um, he talks about the fact like they they went up there because um, Roger Patterson had heard about sightings of this Bigfoot in an area where a logging crew had come in to put in a tank, like, I guess, you know, a portable fuel tank for okay. the logging equipment. And when they went out there to, to fuel up some of the equipment, they saw these tracks of Bigfoot, right. uh, you know, and and they, they told Patterson about it. And he had always had Bob Gimlin saying, like, he had some— some of these castings of Bigfoot tracks. And Bob says, like, whenever they would go out camping and stuff, Roger would have these little, like, uh, uh, recordings, like, you know, the old-fashioned uh, uh, tape recorder, and they would play these accounts of different people, kind of uh -huh. the early accounts of uh, predating Bigfoot Terror in the Woods, of course. But, <laughs> but they'd sit around the campfire and Roger would listen to these and play them for Bob. So that was kind of interesting, too. So what yeah. brought them on this multi-day journey was to go up into this area to uh, see if they could see uh, the Bigfoot. I thought that, yeah, that was and you cool. Know what? It is cool. And, and the fact that he had come prepared, there's nothing wrong with that in my mind. He was hopeful and trying to be prepared like a hunter going with the right gun, right? Absolutely. I'm going hunting today. I'm not guaranteed I'm going to get something, but I'm hoping this day is the day I get my 10-point buck. Yeah, I did buy ammo and uh, yeah. clean my gun, you know. Uh, in preparation for my belief or my hope. 100%. Right, and so the fact that he happened to be prepared that day and uh, 
the stars aligned for him, and he was there, and it happened. I mean, he must have been like as jubilant as a little kid on their birthday when that happened. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it's pretty cool. And like you said, Bill, there's been people that have tried to debunk this over time. You know, it was around the same era, I guess, of uh, the Planet of the Apes movies. So Uh you're right. Sometimes it's tied to the fact that, well, maybe this uh, suit was like something made by the folks in Hollywood that made the Planet of the Apes costume. But then... You know, like I looked at some of the stuff online, some of the research, the videos, the analysis, and it like it looks nothing like it. Like they there's some stuff. I'll try to put the links up on our website where they compare it side by side. The imagery with like the uh, Planet of the Apes stuff doesn't look anything like it. And then the, uh, the mass of it again, like some of the, you know, doubters say it's like a water suit that's worn inside of it. To give the extra mass, but that wouldn't look like muscles moving, you know, like no. you were saying. And you're a stu- you're a student of anatomy and kinesiology and physiology. You know, you know what you see. You know whether it's a water balloon underneath the skin. You know, right? Well, that that creature had the mass of like Haystacks Calhoun <laughs> with the muscles of Arnold Schwarzenegger in his prime. Yes, I mean. Give me your clothes. <laughs> Give me your clothes. And the guy laughed at him. Remember that? He had the food cube? <laughs> Give me your clothes. And uh, But the musculature in that thing, to fill that suit, that you could see the extension of the uh, triceps and the uh, quadriceps muscles uh, banging out when the leg was uh, uh, in extent. Uh, Inflection coming up towards the body. I mean, it was just incredible. You would have had to have freaking arms that were filling that thing that were the size of my thighs. Yeah. Uh, yeah. To make that happen, you know? And ain't nobody around then or now that can fill that suit the way that thing did. Plus, you know? it's kind of like really like the, the, the idea of making it a female, too. I think, like, if you were going to try to hoax it, you wouldn't go through all the trouble of trying to make it a female. No, and, and let's face it, that Bigfoot is not uh, the typical V-shaped monster that we hear about. No, it's not. She's got, like, big hips. Yes. Uh, kind of wide in the bottom. Uh, kind of like a giant baby Huey from the old cartoons. Remember yeah, him? Yeah, 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 yeah. He was like that big guy that was the biggest duck or whatever he was, and a little narrow on the top, a little wide on the bottom, the long arms, that conical head coming up. Uh, And when she turned just to look, I mean, these creatures are all business, man. You know, they're not... uh, yeah, no, like there's, another, there's another gentleman, too. I'll try to post a link to his analysis. So one gentleman went up there to the to the uh, valley there um, and and filmed his friend who was six, five, kind of a skinny guy walking along, trying to use the same exact point of view and what his best guess would be at the same lens and camera right. that Roger Patterson used. But they don't really know which camera or lens he used, right? Because right. he's gone, long gone. And I don't know if you saw this, Bill, but they have a image of the guy walking along, like still frame, right across the whole path where 
uh, Patty walked along, what we call Patty now, from the right. Patterson-Gimlin film. And they line up, like it lines up, all the trees and stuff line up perfectly. They're still there. And um, this creature walks along in the same path. And it's bigger than this guy that's 6'5". Yeah, no, it's taller. And the guy also looks like a stick. He looks like a stick. You're exactly next, right. Next to the mass of that creature. Yeah, he looks like he weighs 100 pounds and he's 6'5". So right. it also, that kind of flies to the face of, you know, one of the, you know, that one guy, I forget his name, that, you know, took the lie detector years ago and said that he wore the suit. And he was like this little guy, as I remember, you know, like, yeah. he, you know, no, it wasn't Schwarzenegger wearing the suit. No, no, even no. Schwarzenegger couldn't have filled that suit. Right. Uh, because just but, based but what are you saying? I'm saying you're a fraud, Arnold. I'm massive. <laughs> <laughs> you know, really, to fill that suit, uh, you'd really have to have literally, I, I can't even put a number on it, 500, 600, 800 pounds of mass. Oh, yeah. And tall. Just to fill that that bag, that suit. You yeah. know, this was no stick figure that put on a, co- uh, a, a, a costume and was walking across there. This was a big thing, big creature. I'm with you. Absolutely incredible. You know, really, I mean, I'm sure Bob would have loved to investigate uh, the other tracks but who knows what happened after that? I mean, uh, maybe they were just like shook up and whacked out after the sighting. Like, you know, what just happened? You can only imagine what happened, Kev. Oh, you can't blame them. I'd be shaken up. <laughs> but kudos to Bob. You know, he wanted to follow it. You know, I got to get another look at it, you know. No, and honestly, Bill, we would do the same thing. You know what I mean? You'd be nervous about it, but you'd be like, wait a minute. You know, like it just happened a couple of minutes ago. You're like, let me go look. And and I remember them in the interview. He said it was like 3 o'clock in the afternoon, I think, and it was late October. So he said it got dark around 5 or 5.30. So they were also worried about getting back to their camp, like their base camp, which is quite a distance away. Yeah. Yeah, they had um, to move or get stuck in the woods in the dark. Yeah, not good. You know, and they didn't have headlamps and uh, infrared uh, goggles to guide them through the woods. No. You know, a, a horse walking back in the dark in the woods could easily break an egg, an ankle or something. Yeah. And uh, then you'd really have a problem on your hands, you know? Big problem, yeah. Wow, that's incredible, man. Cool. So that's our first look at this, Bill. You know, like we'll come back and I'm going to do some more research on it. We'll talk more about it. But, you know, it's like 80 episodes in, 79 episodes in. We got to talk about the Patterson-Gimlin film. Yeah. And that that is kind of where the bar was set uh, for a sighting of a Sasquatch. Really the first one that was clipped on film. Uh, And, you know... What an amazing thing. And to this day, people are still talking about it and trying to break the film down and people dispute it. And other people like myself say, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. This is a living, breathing uh, being. And uh, it's just incredible, you know. It's no, just and I incredible. remember it like yesterday, Bill, like sitting. I was sitting in that little movie theater 
down in uh, Lake Ronkonkoma. I think it was like the Jerry Lewis Cinema or something like that. Yep, that's um, what it was. Yeah, and uh, I was probably eight years old or something like that when they did that documentary on Bigfoot. And uh-huh. this was, you know, it was like a one hour long documentary in the movie theater. And uh, we went to see it. And it was like all about this film and what they saw and, you know, interviews with them both, et cetera. It's super uh-huh. cool. I remember yeah. that like yesterday. Well, that's amazing, man. Yeah. The Jerry Lewis Cinema. <laughs> now, some people today wouldn't even know who Jerry Lewis was, right? Yeah. And, and that's just that's just the way it goes, you know. Some people you say, hey, have you ever seen the Patterson-Gimlin film? They're like, what's that? You know? Yeah. Well, and by the way, the Jerry Lewis Cinema, last time I was there, up there, and looked for it, it was an off-track betting place. <laughs> yeah, OGB. <laughs> for horse OGB. racing. OGB. You know. It's funny, you know. Uh, I don't know. Uh, you know, things change, right? Things oh, yeah. change. It's all right. It's all right. Uh, Jerry Lewis Cinema, by the way, never really packed it in. No, and it was cheap, right? Like yeah. it was like the dollar movie. Yeah, yeah, um, and people preferred all the theaters over that one, you know. Yeah, yeah. But uh, very interesting, and like you say, Kev, we'll be digging back into this uh, more, and as well as everything else, Bigfoot encrypted, uh, as we move along. But it's worth talking about. You know, I've always said there's always people coming in who don't even know what we're talking about. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, don't get bored or, or think uh, badly, but, you know, people are coming in that don't even know what a Bigfoot is, and they're tuning into this podcast and listening for the first time and uh, need to be brought up to speed, so to speak, as to where a lot of this stuff began, at least in our minds, right? We know now uh, the historicity of uh, Bigfoot goes back hundreds of years, if not thousands of years. Yeah. Uh, as we dig into our cryptids and other oddities and some of these uh, accounts that I read, uh, we have stuff going back hundreds of years that we've been talking about. Yeah. By by the way, I, I neglected to mention this, and I, I have to mention it, and I'll put it on our website, BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com, with this episode. But, you know, Dr. Uh, Jeff Meldrum, right, one of the scientific mind studying uh, Bigfoot Sasquatch. He has a uh, cool graphic that I'll put up there that compares the surface anatomy between the costumes of the movie Beneath the Planet of the Apes, which um, was from 1970, okay. and, and uh, the uh, footage from the Patterson-Gimlin film in 1967. Okay. So, so the, the you know, Patterson-Gimlin film predates the first Planet of the Apes movie by three years, and there is no comparison. Like, he puts them side by side. Yeah. And uh, I'll put that up there. It's pretty cool. When you look at it, you're like, oh, yeah. Like, one looks like, uh, you know, like a Star Wars character with a brown cloak on versus the anatomy you talked talked about that you see in the Patterson-Gimlin film. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the... Apes in Planet of the Apes, they were neatly done for the movie. The faces. Not, the faces. The face yeah. makeup, all of that. It's sci-fi like, right? So we, yeah. we appreciated what it was. But to compare the two is just like nonsense. Agreed. It's not uh, But I'll put it up there and you you know our listeners can judge for themselves. Absolutely. Cool. Well let's 
Let's move on into something else that's really cool. This account was brought to my attention by Wayne Kincaid, a resident of Alberta, Canada. Here is what Wayne had to say about what he ran across while out moose hunting with his partner. It was in 2007 when my partner and I went up into the Wells Gray Provincial Park on a moose hunt. We took my ram north from Clearwater Station on a secondary road, which eventually turns into an unpaved road. It was a rough and bumpy go for almost 10 miles. Eventually, we reached the southern tip of Clearwater Lake, where we would make camp and begin our hunt. The plan was to work the timber going northward around Clearwater, Azure, and Hobson Lakes until we found what we came for, which was a big bull moose. Our base camp was to be the truck. We were backpacking a small mountain tent and light supplies, the reason being that if we bagged a moose, it would have to be butchered and carried back out. This scenario is rough enough if you're close to your camp, but should we get our mark up by Hobson Lake, it would require several trips with a lot of heavy meat on our backs. There is some extremely challenging terrain in here, even for a seasoned hiker. But when you add 175 pounds of meat to the pack, it can get really interesting in a hurry. On our first day out, we had patrolled the eastern edges of Clearwater with little results to show for our efforts. We had called in one bull that was relatively immature and had seen a couple of cows as well. That afternoon, we hiked back to the truck and spent the night under the stars, pondering our plans for the following day's hunt. At sunup, we were heading due northeast for the eastern end of Azure, which is a spot we had tagged a huge bull several years ago. Now, Azure Lake had proved to be more promising than what we had seen near Clearwater. But still, we were not committed to the fact that there was nothing better to be found elsewhere. Once again, we withdrew from the timber, leaving ourselves enough time for the five or six mile trek back. The next day, we were committing ourselves to some serious mileage in hopes of attaining our goal. To reach the lower end of Hobson would be six miles one way and over 12 to the northern end, keeping in mind that anything shot up there would have to be butchered and carried out the same way we had come in. We crossed through the shallows in an area where the three lakes meet and started to work the lower, narrower portion of Hobson Lake. The day turned bleak and it had started to rain first very lightly and then more heavily. We were nearing midday when our call sounded like it was attracting something more along the lines of what we came for. As we watched and called, a huge old bull came plowing through the brush about a hundred yards out from our position, and he was committed. We waited and continued to call. When he was about 40 yards out, my partner Brendan pulled the trigger. The bull dropped where he stood. We hiked up and huddled around the beast and began the task of butchering the meat. 
By the time we had finished, we would have barely enough time to make it back to the truck, let alone making two trips with the spoils. Now, in these woods, there are a fair amount of grizzlies. So our plan was to bag what we couldn't carry and hoist it into the trees, coming back for it the next day. This is an extremely dangerous scenario to enter into, and I don't recommend it to anyone. The butchering site alone would be enough to attract a bear from miles away, and we wouldn't be coming back until the following day. This is the day we refer to as entering the danger zone, and for good reason. Many a hunter has been mauled or killed coming across a bear in such a situation as this. We lifted the remaining meat off the ground some 15 feet, hanging it from a stout bough and commenced with our hike back to camp. Between the two of us, we were carrying well over 300 pounds of meat and had a solid seven miles ahead of us. If you think that this is easy, well, think again. By the time we made it back to camp, my body was burning from head to toe. We collapsed by the fire for a well-needed bite to eat and some rest, knowing that we had to return early tomorrow for the remaining spoils. Throughout the night and continuing into the morning, it was raining hard, and despite the weather, we had begun our hike back into the danger zone. By this time, there would easily or could easily be one or more bears in the area, having sniffed out our previous day's activity. The forest was extremely tight and dense where we hoisted the meat. So as we neared the area, our hiking speed had come to a crawl. There is no moving quickly as you close in on the zone. Every step, every move is meticulously plotted out and taken, looking in every direction and at every turn for a bear that may be awaiting us. The rain was unrelenting as we approached the site. It was nerve-wracking in that the noise from the rain alone would drown out any sounds that an approaching carnivore might be making, and we were on edge. As we came into the site, both of the sacks were gone from the tree. One of the ropes was still tied to the tree's trunk, and the remainder was lying on the ground. The other rope was still hanging over the bow, but the rope's end was snapped off, with the sack being taken. As we were taking all of this in, we were still very much on guard for anything else that may be approaching or in the vicinity. At this point, the rain was coming down in buckets, and the ground was saturated around the site. I was standing looking at the rope hanging from the bow, when my eyes were suddenly drawn downward. Below me and all around me in the wet peat were enormous footprints throughout the entire area. I put my boot alongside of one of them and they would double the size of my own, which made them about 20 inches. The two of us stood there completely aghast at the spectacle of what we were seeing. We both knew that these were the prints of Sasquatch, a Sasquatch that had just taken our remaining moose meat. I don't think that either of us in the moment could fully accept what it was that we were looking at. 
We had heard the stories and seen the film clips and the like, but now this beast had become part of our own reality. We were looking down on the footprints of something that is said not to exist, and now we had the proof. You will have to trust me, and yet, having said that, it is more than likely that you won't when I say that there was positively nothing around in these parts that could have left such tracks other than a Sasquatch. As we gathered our composure, we could now see where the beast had entered the site and where it had exited. There were hundreds of deeply compressed prints in the peat, coming and going from the same point in the woods, indicating exactly where it had traveled. Having nothing left to do but hike back, we left the site and returned back to the truck. One of the most amazing aspects of this was the thought of a single creature snapping a half-inch thick piece of climbing rope from a bag dangling at 12 feet off the ground and then making its way off single-handedly, carrying some 350 pounds of meat and perhaps more. Whether or not people choose to believe in their existence is of no consequence to me from this point forward. We now know for ourselves, beyond the shadow of a doubt, they do exist and are roaming in the forests of British Columbia, at the very least. Just to reach that height and to have the strength to snap climbing rope should put fear in anyone, in my opinion. What do you think of that, Kev? Holy moly. I can't imagine, Bill, hiking seven miles back into the forest in the pouring rain and uh, to get the rest of the meat. I mean, honestly, I might be satisfied with the first round of meat. (laughs) I I got it, you know, but the the true hunter likes to do do. things. They like to do things by the book, you know? No doubt about it. It's what you do. I I mean, I get that, but... uh, what a terrifying encounter, right? You get back there, okay, first off, you're like, what he called it the, the danger zone, right, where you're yeah. storing the meat. Yeah. So, so you know you're heading into trouble. Then it's pouring rain, so you can't hear anything, probably can't see anything too well either. And then the, the two sacks of meat hanging from the tree are gone, like, holy yeah. cow. And, you know, when we think about strength, he is spot on when he says, I mean, you and I, Kev, you're, you're a sailor, right? You know what really nice ropes are. Oh, yeah. And a half-inch climbing rope no. snapped? No. I, I, can't, I don't even think in a tug of war, uh, a dozen men on either side could snap a half-inch climbing rope. No, and climbing rope. rope is designed, right, like in case you're... You're climbing and then you slip that like it could take the the snap, you know, like the yeah. uh, the sudden stop and acceleration of all your weight. So you got to be super strong. Absolutely. And on top of it, originally he said the bow was about 15 feet, but I understood why he said 12 afterwards, because the sack hung below that. Mm-hmm. And think of something reaching over, over their head. Yeah, at at that height and pulling down or grabbing, yeah. and, and just being able to rack, break it. I mean, it's crazy. No, I agree. agree. And he's he's totally correct. 
not only that, that it walked off with the two sacks by itself. Or maybe there was two, but he didn't mention two. He just mentioned a lot of tracks, you know? Yeah. 20-inch long footprints, too. Like, yeah, holy I cow. Mean, that's a big beast, man. Yeah. But, you know, uh, it doesn't shock me. You know, certainly I would call that place the danger zone because you're coming back in a day later, and we know that big carniv- carnivorous animals can definitely uh, have zoned in on his zone, uh, smelling the blood and the butchering uh, from the day before. I, I don't even know how you enter back in there with a straight, a straight face and a clear mind that you're going to be okay. That's that's what I meant at the beginning. You know, it's kind of like, you know, you're in for the adventure. You definitely better be carrying more gun than you think you're going to need. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you didn't, like, cut down on the firepower because you knew you had to cut weight to carry the meat back. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you, man. Uh, again, I... I don't know if I should give kudos to guys like this or just say these people are out of their minds. <laughs> well, uh, they're brave, Bill. You know, you're going in Alberta, <coughs> excuse me, into the rough country of the forest, and you're going bull moose hunting. Yeah, you're a brave sort. You know what I mean? It's it's uh, And you're prepared. You know, you wouldn't do this, uh, you know, without working up to it and, you know, doing a lot of hiking and being very comfortable in the outdoors. Because, you know, let's face it, even if you uh, twist your ankle or get bitten by a snake or something, you're screwed, you know. Yeah, yeah. And you have to be extremely fit. Absolutely. Uh, You know, not only just to do it solo, but then you add the backpack. Right. And, and, you know, younger people, of course, have more – uh, are more fit than older. You know what I mean? This is a young man's game, you know? Yeah, and it, and hiking around, you know, in grizzly country in that pouring rain, too, that's really, really dangerous because, you know, you can't hear the bears, but the bears can't hear you either. So you're much more likely to kind of come around a corner and surprise a grizzly or, surpri- or worst case, surprise a grizzly mother and her cubs, you know? Yeah, I, I, I just I can't even imagine you yeah. know the the melee instantaneously, <laughs> you know the Bad the news. yeah the adrenaline rush and everything that would happen psychologically in a heartbeat. Did no doubt about it. It's just uh, incredible. But uh, so there you have it. I mean, uh, did he see a Bigfoot? No. But you tell me after hearing that account what happened. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's pretty uh it's pretty obvious what happened. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I think he said hundreds of footprints too, right? So it wasn't like he saw one footprint. Yeah, no, apparently very soggy. He said Pete, which is like that uh, you know, we all know what Pete is. Yeah. Uh spongy kind of sphagnum moss whatever may have been over there and a, a, a monstrous beast stepping on that would certainly leave huge indentations in it and uh, back and forth and walking around the bags, ripping them down, putting them on the ground, you know, whatever this beast was doing. Yeah. And then leaving the site, you know, look what I found. Honey, Mm. I got dinner. (laughs) (laughs) Good thing the market was open. (laughs) 400 pounds of free moose. (laughs) That's incredible. 
So, my brother, what do we have today in our bag of tricks for yeah. uh, listener mail? Yeah, we got some good mail from our listeners. Um, a couple of them come in without saying what their location is. So, you know, that's okay. But uh, this one comes in from Matt, and I'm not sure where he's from. But he says, hi, I really enjoy Bigfoot Terror in the Woods podcast. Uh, oh, he says, I live in Portland, Oregon. Don't mind me, Matt. I can't read. <laughs> uh, and <laughs> this area, uh, and Bigfoot is very popular in this area. Absolutely. You know, this is me talking now. Oregon, a hotbed. Yep. Um, I know these creatures exist. I believe they live underground in caves. I hope in our life lo- lifetime they're proven to be real. Besides the Skookum cast... What other Bigfoot body impressions have you all heard of? I tell everyone to listen to your podcast. I found your podcast and Sasquatch Chronicles are the best. I also enjoy your humor. Have a great day, Matt. So thanks for writing in, Matt. Bill, what do you think of the Skookum cast? Yeah, I'll talk about that. And first of all, mention in Sasquatch, a big shout out to Wes Germer out there. If you're listening, Wes... Uh, give me a shout when you can. Uh, the Skookum cast was located and uh, brought to bear, and it represents what people believe is a impression of a Sasquatch kind of lying down on its side. Uh, there's like, as I recall, there's like a rump impression. Uh, the upper leg and what might have been like the knee and the leg and the side of the body, almost like something was lying on its side, maybe like you or I would Hmm. uh, if we were resting on the the grass or something like that. Hmm. And uh, it's interesting, you know, of course, believers look at it and say, oh, yeah, we have this impression of the Bigfoot laying down. Look, it's here. And then, of course, the naysayers would say, yeah, it was a moose laying down, you know. Right, but right. It, it it is compelling uh, when you see it uh, to say to yourself, "Wow, yeah." I mean, they would lay down, and you just found a spot where they probably did. Kev, do you recall in? Uh, I don't know if you saw this one in Les Straub's uh, uh, Survivor Man Bigfoot. He came across this matted down grass on the side of a lake. And next to it was a giant, what appeared to be a very big salmon or some other big fish, maybe oh, even a little. Or a seal, like vertebrae? Was that yeah, it? you're right. Yeah. You're right, a seal. I was just thinking the vertebrae were too big to be a fish. Yeah. It was perfectly stripped. Yeah. Just a skeleton like you'd see in a museum. It wasn't yeah. broken, damaged. It was like it was picked away. Yep. And lying right next to that hugely matted down area in the grass. Yeah, I did see that one, obviously, and much bigger than even a moose would make, in my opinion. Yeah, and a moose isn't stripping clean the carcass of a seal. No, no, and that was wild looking. It looked like a... I I wouldn't have guessed that it was a seal. You know, uh, of course, he's the outdoorsman, complete expert, um, but it looked like a big, long, like, giant snake or something like that, right? The way the vertebrae was. Yeah, and he he commented on on how strange a find that whole thing was. Exactly. I think he said he never found anything like that before, so... Right, right. And the Skookum cast is uh, a lot like that. 
you know, they took an impression like they do with the plaster, with the footprints. And it's it's compelling hmm. uh, to look at it and say, you know, see, the oddity is if it was a human being, we'd all be looking at it. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's the side of his butt. There's his knee. There's his leg. Oh, yeah. Here's where his elbow was laying. But it's only because somebody tries to associate the very same postural impression to being that of a Bigfoot that the problem begins. Then right. all of a sudden it's got to be, oh, it's got to be a moose, it's got to be a bear. It's, You know, it's a weird dichotomy that develops when we start talking about what is human, what is something else, and what is a Bigfoot. Yeah, but but Bill, you're you're always going to have the scientific mind come in and try to rationalize what else it could be, right? I mean, that's part of uh, just part of the process, yeah. right? Yeah, I know, yeah. I, I I I get it, I get yeah. it, yeah. and then the scientists will argue amongst themselves. Exactly, exactly. So- <laughs> yeah. But I mean, oh, that's just God. part of the process. So yeah, so uh, but by the way, Matt, uh, I I haven't heard of anything like that. Uh, other than that, and uh, plenty of uh, foot impressions, plenty of uh, trees being stripped of bark, uh, snap trees, uh, you, you know, all of the rest that we've all heard about, uh, but nothing quite like that to date. Cool Interesting stuff. Yeah, cool stuff. And thanks for writing in, Matt. All right. Our next letter comes in from Mark from Eastern Washington. And he says, hey, guys, how you doing? Hope you are well. I'm Mark, the driver from Eastern Washington. I shared a story with you all earlier. I was listening last week, and you mentioned that there should be a Bigfoot mascot somewhere. Well, there is here in Spokane, Washington. (laughs) (laughs) Spokane Community College are known as the Bigfoot. Ah, yeah, they sell in their school store everything with a Bigfoot on it. They have a big squatch and looks real as you enter the main entrance to the building. And at the basketball games, they have a squatch mascot. (laughs) (laughs) That is awesome. Uh, Kev, I'm surprised you never came across that, uh, living up in those parts. I don't know if they had it when I lived back there, but he he finishes up by saying, well, keep up the great work, love the accounts and all the info, stay safe, and remember, carry all the vaccine you think you're going to (laughs) need. Well, thank you, Mark. Yeah, Bill, I don't recall that they had that when I lived out there for about four years. In Spokane. So maybe it's a new thing. I'll have to check that out. I mean, mean, the Phoenix Suns, uh, when I lived in Phoenix, they had the gorilla as the mascot, but it wasn't the Sasquatch, you know. (laughs) You know, I just made a note as you were reading that mail. Uh, I'm going to try to remember to see if I can get on their website if they have it and see what kind of. I'd like to get a shirt or something from. Yeah, uh, the Spokane uh, Community College and where it or what I'm, something you know. Yeah, I'm making a note to do the same. <laughs> and by the way, guys, good reference always carried a, as much vaccine as you think you're going to need, or more than you think. Uh, I had my first shot. My wife had it, folks. If you're listening, and you are, when you have opportunity, do not be afraid. 
Uh, do not hesitate. Get this double dose. There's nothing to it. No reaction at all. I didn't feel like I do when I get the flu vaccine. There's nothing to it. So uh, do yourself and everybody else a favor. And when you're able to, get the COVID vaccine. Awesome, Bill. Yep. So there you have it. Yeah, and Bill and his wife, uh, you know, if some of you are new to the podcast, they work in a hospital, so that's why uh, he was able to get close to the front of the line. Uh, I haven't gotten my shot yet. They haven't offered it to me, as I'm not in healthcare. <laughs> yeah, it'll become, I'm, I'm sure, Kev, this is going to be a, a giant snowball tumbling downhill. Oh, I'm with you. And yeah, uh, yeah. it's, it's going to happen and ha- start to happen quickly, you know. Yeah, no doubt about it. Cool, man. Well, our last letter comes in from BJ in South Carolina. And he writes, a big South Carolina hello to Kevin and the other guy. (laughs) (laughs) He says, I think his name is Bob, Bub, Will. Bubba. William? Or is it Bill? (laughs) It's Bubba. He says, oh, it doesn't matter what the other guy's name is. He only wrote the book series that birthed one of the best Bigfoot podcasts on air. Let's face it. Kevin makes the show, Bill, or whatever his name is. And Bill, or whatever his name is, is the best second man in podcasting. He, He writes, I'm literally laughing out loud thinking about Bill's future reaction to this message. Well, you're hearing it. And I'm coming for you. Great, great. And he says, all kidding aside, I have the utmost respect for both of you guys, and I share in many of your interests. I enjoy hiking, camping, fishing, and just spending time outdoors. I'm also a writer. No books as of yet, but working on that. Though I have never seen The Hairy Man, I do believe that my wife and I heard one vocalizing in close proximity to our property. Prior to this, I've been an avid listener to all things Bigfoot, including Sasquatch Chronicles, The Confessionals, Strange Familiars, and Into the Fray, but had never had an experience that I could chalk up to the hairy man. We were preparing to take our family camping in the spring of 2017, and it was between 10 and 11 at night. We were loading up the back of my truck with all of our gear so we would be ready to leave early the next morning. As we were moving gear from our storage building into the truck, we began to hear a faint sound that we couldn't identify. It seemed to be way off in the distance, but it was loud enough for us to hear it above the racket we were making and all of our talking. We both paused to listen and heard a distinct howling yell that was unmistakable for anything other than a Bigfoot. Wow. Yeah. At that moment, we both looked at each other but didn't say a word, continuing to finish the task at hand. As we continued to pack our things, the howling continued and became louder and louder. We finished up and listened to the sound for a little while longer until it stopped, just as suddenly as it had begun. All of this occurred over a 20 to 30 minute time frame with it vocalizing upwards up to five times before fading out completely. After we entered the house, we continued to look at one another but still said nothing until I broke the silence and asked her what she thought it was we were hearing. She looked at me and said that she didn't know 
but if she had to put a name to it, it sounded like a Bigfoot to her. We still talk about it to this day and wonder what it was we were hearing. Pretty cool, huh? Yeah, I mean, you know, once again, here we have... How many, Kev, how many people do you think have had a similar experience that nobody's ever going to hear about? Oh, no doubt about it. Especially like that kind of howling, you know, hearing that howling and not knowing what it was. I mean, we just had New Year's Eve here not too long ago. And I was out at the coast, Bill, with the family. And, uh, of course, we have a lot of coyotes out here, as I've mentioned. And we went outside, like a lot of people do, you know, right after midnight uh, to look and see if we heard fireworks or people banging pots and pans or whatever they do. (laughs) And it was kind of a little surreal, you know, with 2021 coming in, all of us happy to see 2020 go out the door. Um, It was very subdued. And, in fact... Just a few minutes after midnight, all of a sudden the woods uh, came alive with all of the howling of the coyotes. And wow, uh, wow it was it was a little creepy, you know. But again, you're not going to mistake coyotes uh, for anything else, really, other than coyotes. Um, and you're certainly not going to mistake them for uh, for uh, Bigfoot. You know, it's a unique sound, uh, you know, powerful howl, but unique and weird. Kev, is this is this something new for that area with the coyotes? Because I've only heard it from you first that recording you showed sent to me, and now today, have you heard these regularly since you've been over there? Oh yeah, yeah. So you know, I've been here for about three years, I guess now, and they okay. always have the coyotes here because they warn people, you know, uh, don't leave your pets out at night and stuff like that because it's a relatively small island. And uh, a lot of coyotes when you hear them howling. So we know they go after the deer because we have deer on the island as well. But they definitely go after the pets. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Uh, But getting back to this couple, uh, did they say where they were located, Kev? I forgot. Uh, Where were they? Well, don't cover Well, they were in South Carolina, but I'm not sure where they were going. Okay, so, you know... Uh, this this idea of you see what gets me is when people hear this the howling it's 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 totally distinguishable of uh, being what it is versus anything else like even a person whose mind is not wrapped around bigfoot but has heard maybe a little bit about it when they hear this the thought immediately enters their mind Bigfoot. They're not thinking dog. They're not thinking wolf. They're not thinking moose, mountain lion. When they hear that howl, that deep, resonating, roaring howl going on, the the mind just says it's a Bigfoot, and that's that's what's incredible to me. You know, people recognize what they're hearing and what they're not hearing, even if it's something they're very, very unfamiliar with. What do you think about that? Yeah, I agree, Bill. And I describe it, you know, based on the recordings I've heard. I haven't heard uh, a Bigfoot howl yet. Um, um, But based on the recordings, I put that freight train moniker on it. You know, it's like it's got that power of a freight train whistle, you know, yeah, freight train horn. You know, Kev, one of the greatest ones was that one you put up, uh, that recording of the man with his kids. Yes. Standing in front of that wood line, like in that field. Yep. 
Oh my god! All right, that it had that freight train powerful resonance to it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's no doubt about that. If I was there in the same spot, I would just be like, "What the? You know, yeah, what it just the heck is that? Hits you in the face, like you know, wow, what the heck is that?" No yeah, and it goes it. on. It goes yeah. on and on, you know? Yeah, it's not a one-time uh, blast, <laughs> so to speak. Wow. All right. Well, that's it this week, Bill. Uh, first off, I want to uh, thank all of our listeners and wish them a happy new year. They'll be listening to this in uh, 2021. And uh, hope that uh, for all of you that 2021 is better than 2020. Thank you for your support. This is the first recording of season three for us. So just like I always ask you, please continue to give us these five-star reviews. Our listenership has grown dramatically for the first two seasons. And one of the single uh, contributors to that popularity is those five-star reviews. So if you haven't given one or if you haven't given one lately, please leave us another five-star review on your favorite podcast player. Yeah, folks, uh, I second everything my brother just said. And by the way, if you really want to ensure that you're going to make it through this new year, always carry more gun than you think you're going to need. Sleep tight. <laughs>